Hey everybody, I feel very privileged to bring you today a conversation that I hosted with four Black women leaders who are life coaches, Brandy Morris, Ruth Duran, April Baskin, and Courtney Adams. I suggest that you really listen to this entire conversation and really take time to digest it and think about it and think about how you can start to have a more actively anti-racist, anti-oppression, pro-justice life coaching business and practice because we are in the business of creating more awake human brains who have the power of mind to participate more fully in the world and who take a powerful role in creating the kind of world that we want to live in. So life coaching work cannot be separate from anti-racism. Life coaching work cannot be separate from pro-justice work. And it was such a privilege to be a fly on the wall on the conversation that you are about to hear. I know that it's going to be as moving, illuminating, educational, and hope-giving for you as it was for me. I would like to thank all of my guests, and I would encourage you to listen to the conversation, get fired up, and go follow all of them, and commit to your work in creating a world where everyone is free to live, to prosper, and to fulfill their potential. That is our work as life coaches. Listen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this very special podcast episode of the Fearless Marketing for Life Coaches podcast. Today, I have with me four amazing powerhouses who who are coaches, who are leaders of the coaching space, and they just happen to be Black, and these are women that I know, you know, in social media communities that I see, and they all speak powerfully on the issues that they coach on, think highly of each of them as, as thought leaders. And I really wanted to get them all together to have a chat about what it's like to lead in these times. And I think each of them will have something really valuable to teach us. So I would love to introduce, um, so there's, there's four of you. I would like to introduce first, Brandy Morris. And I'm gonna ask each of you to just say a little thing about yourselves. Brandy. Hi. Hi, Simone. So I am Brandy. I like to call myself the brilliance instigator because having your own biz means you get to give yourself whatever title you want. And really my goal is to help people powerfully stand in who they are as individuals because when you sell time with you, being who you are is the most important thing. So that's really what I focus on. Beautiful. And where are you geographically? We just want to know because everybody's in different places. I'm in Canada. I am on in Ontario. So kind of above New York State. Beautiful. All right, Ruth, can I ask you to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Ruth Duran. Um, I am a mindset and skill sets coach, business coach. I help women entrepreneurs create more success in their businesses. Um, so I cover the mindset of even sales and marketing and just the whole dynamic of it. Um, and I am in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Ooh. And I, I love working with business. I love business. And I really love working with business women because I know we, we are revolutionaries. Revolutionaries. I can't even say that word. <laughs> We're here to change the world. And so I believe in supporting women as much as I can. Yeah, we are. Talk about that later more. <laughs> revolutionaries. It's a hard word to say. <laughs> and I have the honor of introducing 
April to all of you, April Thaskin. Thank you for being here. It's so great to be here with all of you. I'm very excited to see how this conversation unfolds. Um, as Simone said, my name is April Baskin, and I am the principal life coach of Joyous Justice. I also do some consulting work, but in the context of Joyous Justice, I am very committed and excited about helping people lead more powerfully and also incorporate more joy and wellness into their lives, and that we, uh, working with my clients around incorporating our desired outcomes into our process. Okay. Oh, and I should mention that I'm based in Dakar, Senegal, but originally from the States. Represent. Whoa. Thank you. All right. And Courtney Adams. Hi. <laughs> Hi, I'm Courtney Adams, and I'm a coach for compassionate leaders who want to do epic shit in the world. So I work with people who have, you know, done the work on themselves. They are self-aware and they're like ready to make an impact. They're ready to do all of the crazy shit that they've been wanting to do forever. That's been kind of like in their brains, but hasn't really come to fruition yet. So um, yeah, that's how I work with. And I, oh yeah, and I am uh, in Vancouver, BC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of Canadians today. I'm just so just excited by the amount of leadership in this room and a lot of in the Zoom room and the, the, the amount of big ideas here in this collective brain space. I do want to begin here because a, a couple of you, at least a couple of you have, have mentioned, right, like truth, right? Speaking the truth and... I kind of want to begin there, even though it's kind of loaded. I think a lot of people have been struggling with, oh my God, like how do I, how do I begin to talk about the truth here? And I think a lot of people have found it especially hard to speak the truth with the kind of love or as April would talk about, you know, the joy that, that is normally a lot more accessible. I would just love to open up the floor and just have us talk about what it's been like to speak truth in recent times and what your thoughts are about it. Yeah, I think that I've been able to access my truth through my emotions, like being able to feel deeply, like feel the pain of everything that I have gone through over my life, like and being able to feel the anger that comes with it, the resentment, the fear, and just letting it all boil up inside me and actually come out with my words and with my actions and the things that I, um, that I'm inspired to do. So yeah, I think, I think the truth for me, the deeper I go into my feeling and honoring my feelings, it just gets truer and truer for me the more I do it. Courtney, you and I spoke earlier and you told me that you were almost like, you didn't even know you had all these emotions underneath. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize how much I was repressing. Like, I told a story last week about um, how when I was in high school, I had a friend who would call me the N-word whenever she felt like it. And I had been thinking about, like, writing that story for a long, long time. But there was always something in the back of my mind saying, like, that's not relevant. Like, that isn't going to help my people. Like, that isn't really a part of the message I want to share. And yeah, so many of just my experiences as a person of color, I've just been kind of ignoring subtly 
And then suddenly now that people actually want to hear them, I notice my brain change and be like, oh my God, it does matter. And it always did, but now I actually have that. Um, I give I gave myself permission to be able to hurt from that. Wow, that's really powerful, Courtney. I, it's so relevant for me because I know that exact feeling of that, like almost like permission that you get from people being open, and everyone's kind of being vulnerable. I actually have had this experience several times in my life where this particular pain, rage, whatever feelings I have, love for myself truly, I think is where it comes from. Mm. To speak out is, it comes like a fire hose at times, right? Like it's just like, oh, well now you want to hear it, you're going to hear it all. (laughs) (laughs) And it tends to come up in these times. Um, So I find it interesting that you spoke of the feelings because I do think that when you stand powerfully in something and it's something that you can't possibly hold back. It's amazing how much truth you can speak and then also how much love is reflected back to you from being able to speak your truth. Um, This is Ruth. And for me personally, I resisted feeling my emotion for a very very long time. I didn't really know how, um, how much I was resisting my emotions and how much I was carrying my emotions with me. I was very, it was just physically very heavy. Um, And so as I've been doing this work and I've been allowing myself to feel my emotions a lot more um, and really just holding that space for myself and loving myself and actually even trusting myself that no matter what I say or do that everybody else can, can disagree with me. But as long as I have my own back, that it's valuable. And as long as I sit back and like what I'm saying, when I'm saying it and how I'm saying it, that's all that matters. And so the more I've done the work, the more I've just allowed myself to feel my emotions um, and not just taking actions, but really feeling my emotions first. And the more I've allowed myself to do that and trust in myself and love myself, the more of me I've been, I've been rediscovering, just seeing who I really want to be, who I've always been, and just holding space for myself is the most um, amazing gift I've given myself over the couple the years that I've been doing this journey. And it gives me that space to hold space for everybody else. If I can have compassion for myself, I can have compassion for other people. If I'm going to call myself out, it's easier to call somebody else out from a place of love. Or even just if I'm going to educate somebody, I'm going to educate somebody from a place of love and compassion and understand that they're having a really tough time learning a lot of things. So if I can hold space for myself, it's easier to do it for other people. It's easier to it's easier for them to, to allow them to even just break down if that's what they need to do. Um, and I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah, I think there's going to be an, often a theme here. So I'll try not to say it every time I talk that I resonate with much of what has already been said. This is April. And, and the piece that I think I would add, and my thoughts are still sort of coming together on this great question, Simone, for me is, is, is that I've been um, fortunate enough to have some wonderful elder women in my life who have brought me into a uh, anti-oppressive healing practice. I think there are a lot of different modalities that people can use, but there's um, one that I've been brought into called co-counseling that I bring, and I bring a lot of the benefits of that into my coaching practice. And they're related to what folks are saying around surfacing. The basic premise behind it is that in general, most societies, we fundamentally mistaken 
our, we've mistaken our fundamental healing mechanism for the problem, that the emotional discharge and release was never the problem. That was actually our way through the trauma to access our thinking, but we all have this conditioning. And even after being, to, to part of what, to lean on part of what Ruth just said, like even after seven or almost eight years now of being in this community, I still find at times, like last week, that I just completely fell apart on Thursday, that I couldn't access my emotions until it reached the point where, like I asked my partner to do one thing after he'd already, to his credit, given me a massage and like listened to me, right? And I was like, can you bring my laptop to my office? And he was like, no. And I'm like a torrent for like 40 minutes of like everything of like, I asked for not being from anyone. You know, like just, Right. And, and he like he's West African. So he was like, he was like, should I call your mom? Like he was like, oh my God, is she like suicide? I'm like, no, it's just tears. But I was like, in that moment, I couldn't even talk. I was like, I can't even care for you right now. Like I just like, it's all coming out right now. Right. And so for me, what it's been like to speak my truth is an awareness that I am a member um, of multiple groups that have been targeted for destruction. And, and from the oppression analysis that I bring, that I'm functioning within a society, within systemic oppression. And because of my upbringing for my parents, it aligns very well with my coaching practice and the modalities of master coaches like Simone and other great leaders who I follow and learn from now. Like they fundamentally lived what, what a number of master coaches teach that just whatever happens doesn't necessarily have to predict where we're going, right? Like we had a family therapist, Frank, um, this like harsh black man who hurt my feelings, but the rest of my family liked him, so it was, it was all good. Um, who who said that like my family was the most uh, functional family navigating dysfunctional situations, right? And so there's a way in which I hold that vision, and there's also something like even talking about this now, my heart is pounding. That inherently, like me speaking my truth and contradicting all of that early childhood programming and the perspectives of leaders around me who I want to be in relationship with, but I also believe in my own sovereignty and speaking my voice. So it's constantly a choice. And I often don't know, I find in my work, I don't know about for all of you, but since I'm also a leader and within my communal space within the Jewish community, I never fully know if it's going to be like, yay, April, or she's the worst. And I'm like, my analysis doesn't ever changes. It's, it's consistent across all of it. But where that lands on, how that lands on white ears and white audiences or, or systems of power at any given time, it's like, ooh, she gets to be our pet or she's the threat. Like, and I, and so when I do that, speaking my truth, there's often this internalized terror that I need to walk through, that I choose to walk through. And I engage in all these practices around healing and release. And those are the ways that I can access joy. Um, I could say more, but I think I'll stop there. That, that's, that's some of what comes up for me when I, when I hear this question. I actually would love to speak to that, um, like speaking your truth and either being like loved or hated. Like I was actually just thinking about all the people who have like commented on my posts and like DM me saying like, you're doing this wrong. Like you shouldn't say this. You shouldn't say that have all been white people. And I've been, and I looked at, it, I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> how is that possible? And just looking back on like all of the ways that I still am so afraid of what white people think of me. Like I was kind of raised to think like, you know, white people are thinking that you're stupid. White people are thinking that, you know, you're not worthy or whatever it is. So I'm just kind of constantly just more aware of what they might be thinking. 
which is so interesting because what ends up coming up is more white people showing themselves and being like, hey, you actually are doing it wrong. You should stop. <laughs> so fascinating. I would just, um, what I would love to point out, and I would, I want us to kind of be considerate of this. So we want to be careful with the paint, paintbrush and given absolutes, even the white community, and also the same thing with the African American community. Like we, when we do that, we, um, we kind of dismiss what some, you know, a lot of them are having experiences they're having. I've had conversations with. Um, both, um, I've had conversations that with black women and I've had conversations with um, white women who are not the, not cautious with the absolutes. That's just my, because we can't speak for everybody. And one person, two people, five people DMing us is not everybody. It's just a few people who have opinions and then holding space for those who, and compassion and realizing that they're going through something, we don't know what it is, and it's not personal but just really understanding they're also they're also a pain it's painful facing your truth we've done it um we, facing our truth is painful and we we have the skills as life coaches to face our um discomfort and face our emotions and we still struggle with it but if you're not able to you don't have the skills you it's personal and the um, hurt people hurt people. And so we have to be careful just with that absolute. And that's just my, my, I don't know if it's my, it's just I wanted us to just be careful with that because I know I cannot speak for all the, Af all the black people. Neither can I speak for all the Africans. Neither can I speak for all the white people. And I'm all three, so. Yeah, this is April. Uh, Ruth, I appreciate you making that clarification. And I think that um, overall, I'm in alignment with you. I, th I think the piece that I might want to clarify about what I said is that when I'm speaking, I'm speaking more about is issues around systemic oppression and how that manifests in terms of uh, members of different groups and how that plays out in society. For instance, um, scholar Beverly Tatum uh, talks about how in terms of how racism operates in society, that's sort of like a moving walkway at the airport and that you can choose to walk quickly and game the system, right? That might be people who are actively racist, but even if folks are doing nothing as it relates, and you could apply this to any form of systemic oppression or power or system of power. So I have this as an able-bodied person that I don't have to do anything in particular, but unless, and what she says is, and what people have to do metaphorically if they want to contradict that or be, as Ibram Kendi talks about, um, anti-racist, um, that they need to actually, one needs to turn around on the walkway, on the proverbial walkway, and not only walk in the opposite direction, but move faster than the rate that the walkway is moving in order to contradict all of those systems moving people along. But I think it's absolutely important to clarify, and I do a tremendous amount of work with white folks um, for, for a variety of reasons, right? And I absolutely hold individual intention and, and the fact that people are hurt in a variety of ways and, and, are, and that we're dealing with an, a complex system of a variety of dynamics that are at play that I account for in my coaching. And um, since I'm so deep in the work, I often forget to miss that. So I'm really appreciative of, of you um, naming that within some of these broader patterns that there are individual folks who make dis make their own distinctive decisions and that that is important. So thank you. 
Yeah, this is Courtney. And I also, yeah, thank you so much for bringing that up because I 100% believe that I created that result of like, you know, by me hyper-focusing on what white people think of me, even though I, like, I know they're all different people. Like I was just always had this at the back of my mind. I didn't even know how much I was just considering and thinking about like, what are they thinking of me? What, like, like, do they think that I'm enough? Do they think that I'm smart enough? And I think that that was just shown to me through that, like, of having people com- comment and reach out to me and say that I was, you know, doing it wrong and stuff like that. And so, yeah, so fascinating. Cause when I decided in my own brain that I was going to like trust myself and and not consider what people think as much that those things stopped happening. So I think it was something that like really needed to happen internally, but I'm really glad that you made that clarification too, because that's really important. This is Brandy. And I, I definitely want to speak to that as well, Ruth, because I think you bring up an excellent point. Um, And it's actually something that I've received uh, quite a few corrective emails on, which is the concept of white people versus whiteness as a construct and to really separate those two things. So I speak unapologetically about how whiteness can show up in society because I believe that it's important to speak that way. And a lot of the pain that comes for people, for individuals who hear about it, is actually because they're not used to having to identify with the race. And I say that as a a biracial woman, I'm I'm both black and white. Um, And so I feel that Um, difference for myself and it's often why I speak to it because I do understand it's a weird place that you're in um, as a biracial woman because you have like you know you suffer from the oppression and then you also have the experience and the benefit like I'm kind of a beneficiary of white supremacy and I have to deal with that as well and there's constantly this this moving uh, current that happens so I'm glad that you pointed that out because I do always want people to know I'm speaking not to individuals, but to a, to a construct. Something that I've been noticing that I sort of just now began speaking up about is that um, I've seen a lot of other people of color who are not black completely check out of this conversation and check out of even thinking about it and engaging with it in their brains. Because, I mean, I can't speak for them because I don't know what's going on in their brains. But if I were to guess based on my experience, it would be something like, well, I didn't do it, right? Or my, my ancestors didn't do it, like it's not my fault, right? And I, re- I realized that that's how, partially how I was thinking of it too. It's like, well, it's terrible what's happening, but I didn't do it, right? And I realized that what that was, when I was thinking that, what that was preventing me from doing is really like softening myself to like the heartbreak that what like that was wanting to happen. And I like didn't want to be heartbroken. I just didn't want to feel those emotions. And I think that once, because if you're looking at like, it's not my fault, if that's the thought, then you're just looking for like, who's, who's, who, who is at fault? Who can I blame? Because if I know who to blame, then I can just like move on and be done with it. Right. Oh, it's those terrible white people's fault. Like I'm not like, I'm not that right. So I get, I just get to walk away. Whereas if I just look at who is hurting right now, and what power do I have to affect the whole web that creates this injustice? Then, of course, you're always part of the conversation, right? 
But I think this, is it, is it white people's fault? Is it this white person's fault? Is it that, you know, it, that is a totally to me, I, I had this awakening much too late that it was, that was entirely the wrong thing to be focused on. That's, that's a really good point, Simone. And I think that, you know, uh, Desiree Lenadaway is someone who I love. I just would probably just share her entire thought. Every thought she has, I would just share it. Um, but she speaks a lot about that liberation is for everyone. Like we, none of us are free unless all of us are free, right? And so we all benefit from it. And I think that people are learning right now because we have this like kind of captive audience, like this pandemic in a pandemic thing is really causing people to have time to dwell. And in some cases that's been the, my detriment because I dwell in bad places. And then sometimes like right now I get to dwell on what I really want for the world and speak freely and ask freely for it. Um, and I think that blame, yes, blame isn't helpful right now. I think it's really about where is, what is our system and whether or not my character is good. What do we as a society need to do better so that we can all be free together? Yeah, I would add, first of all, I love Desiree, she's actually my coach. And uh, I've been a fan of her for years, so I love that you named Desiree Lynn Attaway. Yay, Attaway Group and her coaching. Um, and uh, yeah, to me, this is an all hands on deck moment. So uh, for me, it both isn't about blame, but it's also about systemic analysis. And actually, it, the histories do matter. And there are certain folks who were enslaved and others who were the enslavers. And that history is relevant and plays out today. And yet it's this both and, which I find is co I'm constantly talking about in my, in my work. Like I often, I find in the, in, in the midst of intercommunal struggle, I talk about this concept that leans on Jewish values around what I call compassionate accountability. So this both and of like, yes, individual who is a part of any given group that has been targeted for destruction as well, that deserves full attention and healing. And you may also be in some kind of oppressor role with another group. And both of those things can be true at the same time for nearly all of us in one way or another. Um, so as Adrian Marie Brown talks about, like we're all like swimming in a sea of harm. And um, some of us do inflict it more than others, but usually because of different dynamics, like they're just things we're bumping up against or things we don't know. Like we live in a, a complex world. And I find as someone who has expertise in this, like I'm still learning and, and, and like so as someone who geeks out about it, I both, I'm sorry when it happens, but I'm like, ooh, yay, like an opportunity to model to this group. But like, I don't have to shame myself. I can be like, oh, right, great point. That was totally ableist of me. You don't just have to put your comments in the chat. If people need to speak them, that's okay. And I apologize because that was a harm that I just committed and I didn't mean to, but I still did. And in my mind, I'm like, yes, people, are you soaking this in? Like, are you seeing you can do this? Like you can correct in real time. <laughs> and that's one of the, this is Ruth. And I, that's what I love about um, genuine and authentic leaders that um, have always, um, I've always wanted to be a strong leader and I've always loved the leaders who, yes, they'll mess up, but they'll go, I'm sorry. Yes, I messed up. And my life, um, I didn't think I was a leader and um, in my master's program, my, my professor, I was like, I never had led anybody. And he said, are you a mother? I said, yes. And he said, you're a leader. And it just hit home for me. And so the first time, I went to my daughter and I said, you know what, I'm sorry. And 
she cried, I cried, but over the years, I still find myself going and telling her, you know, I'm sorry, because um, the first time she told me I had, I was making a decision from my white privilege, I was pissed. I'm like, what the heck? I, I lost it. And then I calmed down. And I said, okay, what do you mean? And she educated me. And I sat there and I listened to everything she had to tell me. And I went, okay, I get it. I get it. I get what you mean. And yes, you are right. And so, but also sitting with that shame and sitting of, with that um, guilt of, you know, that I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know at that time, but I can't use it against me. And so as leaders, being able to know when you've, you didn't know something or know when you've made a mistake, be open to that feedback and being open to know I'm human. Yes. Like, <laughs> like with April, yes, today I was, I lost my husband. <laughs> yes, I did that. I did that. But also going later on and saying, you know, okay, I'm really wind, wound up right now and I'm sorry, but this is, we need to communicate. And then it seems like the more we talk, the more we're able to get, it's like I get to know him so much more over just even by me just admitting I'm human, you're human, we mess up. Let's, let's learn from this. And I think that's what I'm, I'm getting from at least the, the white women who've talked to me. They want to learn. They want to see, they don't, they, they missed it. They didn't know this. They missed it. They want to know. Um, they want to learn. They want to see how they can be part of the solution. I'm not back to the no absolutes, just the women I have talked to, the women who have reached out to me, <laughs> the women I have heard from. So, and so I think that's what as leaders we can do is just educate them from a place of love, a place of compassion of seeing that, you know, hopefully we can break the, the ice and have that communication that maybe somebody can hear just a little bit different next time. Uh, this is Courtney. Um, I think that for me, actually, the past week or so has been about me not apologizing as much anymore. <laughs> kind of like the opposite. Like I realized that one of like my biggest thoughts are just saying in my mind, I'm sorry. And having and like coming from a place of like this little girl. It's like, I'm sorry, I did something wrong. I said something wrong. Or like I'm scared. Like that, that those are like the the top like pop-up thoughts that just come up in my head. And this this week for me has just been about like saying what I want to say and not apologizing for it being imperfect. Like <laughs> not fucking explaining myself. And <laughs> it's been and if I do make a mistake, like I totally yelled at my roommate last week <laughs> and I apologize for that. And you know, things that I actually deeply and I'm like like having my own back and I'm like I did something that I like want to apologize for instead of being like you need to you need to smarten up you need to clarify like no 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 we're not doing that anymore <laughs> uh yeah Courtney I just we're so aligned in this feeling of and you know I have a feeling we've all experienced this a few times is maybe there's a little bit of 
like frustration with the delay. Like, so this is not the first time I've spoken openly. So this is the first time I've been writing long form in a long time on Facebook or wherever about race. But my cock, if you've had cocktails with me, we've talked about this. And so when everyone's like, oh, this is all happening. I'm like, where have you been? And I think I'm allowed to feel that. And I, I'm, you know, so I'm having a moment of like, I want to make space and I want to, you know, be compassionate. And I am, it's maybe sometimes too much. I've been holding maybe a little too much space and allowing harm to me. So now I'm learning some like boundaries. So are you here to learn? Then I am here for you. It might not be today because I don't know about y'all, but I'm sick. There's a lot going on and it hurts. And so I can't maybe be teacher today, but I can sure write a lot of open letters to everyone based on all of the input coming into me. <laughs> so the things that tell me, you know, oh, if you just, if you'd stop saying it this way, if you'd stop being angry, then maybe we could hear you better. And I was like, well, people were literally on one knee and you couldn't hear that. Or the other 400 years of revolt. There's lots going on here. And so it's, there's a rage there. And I think it's okay to feel that. And I think that what's really coming for me from the individual side and is just understanding that I'm allowed to feel all of my emotions and I don't constantly have to censor myself for um, acceptance of other people being able to see my humanity because my humanity is what needs to be accepted. And that includes this anger. Yes. Yes. I am so here for this. This is April. Yeah. It's all of it. Like to me, it's all the things as a woman and a leader of, as a woman of color and a leader and a coach and even in my coaching practice, it's holding the range for the full spectrum and noticing based upon not only what's happening within me, but what I'm experiencing and, and the different things that I'm, the re-traumatization and the rem reminders of coming home to my father being beaten by the police when he was home on medical leave. Like these are things that are, are real and are painful. Right. And, and so, and, and I know, and like, and again, so the part of my practice and my coaching that I'm melding and I, I might be one of the newer coaches on the block. I'm not sure, but I, um, I bring, um, the, the de facto coaching that I've been doing throughout my, my leadership and work um, of, of almost 17 years around fusing the best thinking from coaching with my oppression analysis. Um, and I find that among the best practitioners in coaching, that actually there's a lot of alignment when you get down into the roots of it, that it, that it sounds initially like the language, the languages that the, the different schools of thought use may be different, but actually it comes down to the same, to the same principles, right? And, and so holding that is important to me, right? Like, like in my work, I'm consistently working to contradict oppressive norms. So at times that means for me, as a person who is a member of some oppressor groups or some non-target groups is the softened language I use, you know, that, that at times I may cause harm in ways that I didn't intend. And then at other times, as was said, just to echo that, like to ditto, there, are, like, I remember like Beyonce's Lemonade came out at like the perfect time for me, like that, that sorry, I'm not sorry, like that song, I would just, like, I would be listening to it as I was walking into a board meeting and being like, I know a bunch of these old white men want me to apologize, but what they did was racist and what I said was accurate. So I'd just be playing that song in my head over and over again. Oh my gosh, what a powerful conversation. I want to switch gears a little bit to something, dare I say, fun, okay? Because we're talking about justice. 
And I would invite you all to think in this moment with me beyond like correcting the balance of justice, beyond everything that we were talking about and into success and thriving and making lots of money and having a giant impact on the world. And I know that nobody here is here with little modest dreams. I know you all have super ambitious ideas. You want to lead lots of people. And so I want to hear all about how we're going to have so much success and thriving and wealth and prosperity and just like all the good things for Black people, Indigenous people, other people of color, for women. Pain, this is Courtney, (laughs) by the way, pain is the birthplace of like everything, of all of the growth, like all of the goodness, all of the like epic changes and transformations. And like we as a people, as a race, are having a collective pain. So like my my story began through a breakup, through like a terrible, painful breakup of a very abusive, like psych- psychologically abusive, <laughs> abusive relationship. And just feeling the pain of that, feeling like I was going to die for months and months and months and just like dealing with that got me to where I am now and got me closer to my truth and what I meant to do in this world. So I am so excited that everyone is in pain right now. (laughs) It's like we're all in labor giving birth. (laughs) We're going through some pain and there's going to be like this beautiful baby (laughs) that's coming through and yeah, I think that like it's just so 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 necessary. And um, this is Ruth, and I and one of the things that um, for the women um, who are white who want to join us in our pain, one of the things that we've been dealing with, for example, just Black Lives Matter for four years, five years now, um, it's not just a hashtag. It's not just a trend. It's not something that goes away. And I think it was something that was, um, like one of my young friends said, it was it was a trend four years ago, and then it kind of wore off. But no, it wasn't a trend in the African-American community. I'm going to say with the Black community. It wasn't a trend. My daughter's um, Twitter said Black Lives Matter for six, um, for four years now. Um, and the young lady was very concerned that it was a trend at first and now it seems to be dying down. It's not as um, in, cause she's, she's from New Mexico. So New Mexico, we're only 2.7% black. So in her friends, it's, it's trending down. And so she was very sad about that. So for me, what I'd love to also say is if somebody is really, truly genuine about learning and being interested and listening to people like Brandy and reading her, her blogs and it's, we need that commitment, that long-term commitment, which is very important in everything we do, any goal we, we go for. And then just the also, you know, yeah, it's hard. It's, we have all done hard things and it's hard, but sometimes we, we get all driven and we say, yes, we're going to do that. And then when it's, then we don't keep the stamina going for a long time. And it, and, but as African-Americans, um, as blacks, um, and it's part of the life. It's not something that, um, and when my daughter's talking about the white privilege, I notice it's, I get to get, take a break. But when you're black, you don't get to take a break from being black. 
you're black all the time. And so when somebody says, yes, I'm interested in learning and then, but it doesn't get, it gets harder and comfortable and then you pull away. It's, we're not, it, it's, the trust is lost. It's like, it's come, we suffer all the time. Um, and show us that you're really genuine in the long term, educating yourself six months, a year from now, two years from now, because that can make a big difference in so many lives. And yes, we're in pain, like Courtney said right now, all of us are in pain. But I think what um, Shesley really wanted me to convey was she's in pain all the time. She's in pain. She's in pain. Um, she just she would like that consistent um, support. So I love that. And I think that's kind of broke my heart a little bit at the same time, because I know that feeling a little too well. Um, and also, you know, the repressed feelings bit comes on both sides, doesn't it? Like there's a lot of repressed feelings that we didn't realize we had, or we hadn't had been forced to face. And I feel like right now and moving forward, we have this chance. We've all been broken open. Everyone's speaking, everyone's speaking in their truth. What's really come up for me is that I care about so much. So right now I'm fighting and I'm speaking about my life, okay, and our lives. And I find that there's so many other things that we're passionate about and that we care about. And there's going to be a time where we're moving forward while hopefully keeping some focus on it, because I agree with you, we need to keep this focus and keep it trending and important but we also need to be able to speak about other things. And I think that we can take this moment in time and practice speaking out and use this power that we have and this feeling that we have right now in many other areas that matter to us. And so that's really what I want people to feel is if you're seeing this and you're thinking, wow, they're speaking out or they matter, or I can't believe they're saying that, or they're worried about their business, no matter what color your skin is, if you're wanting to speak out about something, use your voice and know that the people that aren't here for your message will fall away. And that's actually kind of a good thing. You know, this week I've been, I've lost some friends. I've lost some friends based on my opinions, their opinions, whatever happened. There was a clash that was a break for us, but I've also gained some amazing connections because I stood in my truth. And I think there's a lot of power to that. And I think that spreads across life and business, not just in this exact moment in time. Yeah, you know, I, I think this is such a dynamic moment. And like I'm facilitating a call and this, this friend messaged me around a challenge we've been dealing with. Um, and she was like, April, I'm so sorry I wasn't there for you before. I just had this encounter. And I see that like there is an you know, abusive dynamic and I want to be there for you around this. And, and um, people in my community who have often been quiet just wrote this public letter. So to your point, Simone, so I love this question. Like this is where I live is like that future place. And again, like I was raised by a, a father who had been wrongfully incarcerated. And I, like a lot of people, and in fact, far more intense than me, like was brought into this world through fire. And, and yet my dad was always like, he'd always say things like short-term sacrifice for long-term gain. And like, and you'd be really clear about where we were going and you know, where we were going to be going. And, and I, so I love visioning. And so to your question about where are we going or like, like, 
I think about this a lot. Like I have this practice that I love to do that I call, I realize it, it, it contributes or it's like a part of white supremacy culture to call it perfect day because there's a whole thing on perfectionism that scholars in the field of racial justice, so, so like wonderful day. So I have this wonderful day exercise that I love to do where I project out 10 years from now because um, I think a lot about energy work too in my work in coaching and momentum. And so I find it's really helpful at times to like build out like what the patterns on my furniture is going to be like 10 years from now. And like, what's the community center that I'm able to fund in Senegal from the, from the success of my work, right? That it's, that if I push it out into the future and then I get really specific and write about it in present tense, right? And then here's the crazy thing that I like go on this whole diatribe, which I'm not supposed to do as a coach, but I do anyway a little bit with the, with the commercial about the strategy. Cause as I do this, like as a daily practice and lately with everything with like, with everything that's been happening, I haven't been able to do it. And I'm still like, okay, now I'm like 14 pages. I'm 14 wonderful days behind now. I got like, I gotta, I gotta get caught up on this. Cause what I'm finding, it's amazing is that doing this thing where like you live, project that into the future and write in present tense. And what I'm finding is not only does it fit with like law of attraction stuff that I've learned and different things like that, but that it neurologically is programming my brain like it's happening. So I start having these like mad, brilliant business ideas that are just like popping off of my head now that I'm like, wow, that's brilliant. like that. I wouldn't have thought of that last Tuesday, but this is great. Right. And so like, as much as I can, like, this is what I mean around like holding, like, which is weird for people at times because I have this like really intact oppression analysis, but I also don't want to be stuck there because that sucks, right? Like, that's not where I want to live. I want to use that to understand and have self-compassion around the ways that I've been hurt or the things that I'm afraid of or when I don't respond to emails at times because all the times that, that teachers when I was a kid told me I was stupid or all, right? Like, I need to get over that. But then, like, it, it's so much easier to get over it when I'm like, I'm going to have this great family and we're going to have these different homes in different places. And the last thing that I would say related to this is that, like, I had this epiphany because I went from really focusing on nonprofit work and coaching people in the context of national leadership cohorts and the work I was doing to getting to this place where I was like constantly like hitting a wall around authority figures. And I got to this place where after like doing all these different, engaging in all these different modalities that I was engaging in, like, I get it. There's a fundamental misperception here. I get it. Y'all thought I was asking for permission. Oh, like, oh, let me clarify what I was Saying is that I would love to work with you because this will go so much better for all of us and honestly it's a little less work for me but if you're not gonna go with this then I'm gonna circumvent your behind and do it anyway and then make your work irrelevant and then you're gonna have to catch up so we can we we can just do this now easily but either way like I'm just gonna keep doing this and I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna try to have fun doing it because my family like went through all of this oppression and navigated all of this things that I think everyone on this call, like come from ancestors who like worked so hard to help us be where we are. And so I want to thrive. Like I want to be real about oppression that I'm navigating, but I also want to have the time of my life. And like to Courtney's point, like that it's both this birthing process. And I like, don't like, I have this thing where I'm like, well, I don't want to like condone the oppression. Um, but I also see now that like, because of all the oppression my family has gone through, I am fearless and I'm clear that there's almost nothing like having lost people having like had devastation having things done to my body like 
I feel like I'm invincible now. Like I, and I still need to keep healing in the places where I still need healing. Like, it's not like it's all done, but like, I'm like, I'm up for the fight. Like, and I want to dance my way through it. April, you're just amazing. I just want to hang out with you all the time. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I also wanted to speak to the fear that um, this will stop trending. And I genuinely think that it will. And I think that that's okay because bubbles always pop. Like th this is just one bubble. This is just like one layer of one bubble inside of us. There's like, there's so much injustice in the world. There's, there is like an uprising of indigenous people that needs to happen, an uprising of homeless people that needs to happen. Like, like, and, and just like the more that we pop those bubbles, the more we'll find within our own selves, there's even more. So I don't even think we have to like keep it trending or whatever, because it is going to like, there's, there's no other, there's no other way. Like bubbles are always going to pop. It's just a matter of time. I feel like the luckiest fly on the wall. Yeah. I don't even know how to, how to close this except to say, oh my gosh, I hope all of my listeners go follow these amazing leaders. And you can all tell, like you all want to listen. Like this is the beginning of you beginning to listen and to listen to them. If you haven't already been listening to them. So go follow them, give them money, hire them. The size of ideas the size of their hearts. It's just, I'm, I feel so lucky that I somehow managed to get all these women in one room. I'm going to link to all of their links in the show notes. This is going to be the, the only, the first conversation that I am intentionally um, creating in my orbit, in my spheres about active anti-oppression, anti-racism, pro-thriving, <laughs> pro-joy, pro-success work that we're all committed to. And thank you so much for the incredible, impressive nuance of thought you have brought, the heart, the compassion you brought, and for, for both yourselves and for everyone else to model after. Thank you. Thank you. Such a joy. Thank you. Hey coaches, you're probably wondering, where can I find these women online? Well, don't you worry. I have included links to their websites, their social media in the show notes. So please go check them out. Support these women, support other Black and Indigenous leaders, coaches, business owners in your communities, wherever you are. Thank you for being up for this work that takes all of our hearts, all of our brains, all of our courage. You were made for it. Keep going, Life Coach. I love you.